Welcome to this week's episode of the Stop, Pause, Think, Now Act podcast, the conversations that matter. With me, your host, Joanne Grobelar, and this week's guest, Claire France, from the Learning and Development Professional from Millicans. Firstly, let me tell you about Claire. The week following her final exam at university, Claire joined a temping agency, as you did that back then, and took a job for two weeks. Two weeks become two months and then a full-time job. Claire went on to stay for 15 years until she took voluntary redundancy. In today's podcast, Claire talks us through her breakdown and the actions that came out of it. Claire studied reflexology, Indian head massage and Swedish body. And that was back in 2004 when the recession hit. The first thing people did was stop spending on disposable income. Her previous company of 15 years was recruiting and the new role had her name all over it. Claire applied just to see what it felt like driving back on site after her breakdown and it felt like home. That was in 2009 and Claire is still with Millicans today in her role of learning and development professional. Claire, welcome to this week's podcast. Thank you, Jo. Pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to have you on this week. Okay, firstly, um, can you explain to us who Millicans are and what they do for people that may not know that are listening? Oh gosh, uh, Millican is one of the world's largest privately owned chemical and manufacturing organisations. We are based out of South Carolina and have. Um, Manufacturing locations around the globe. We they they say that on an average day in the Western world, you come into contact with fifty of our products every day um, because we're you know chem, whether it's chemicals or colorants or the inside of tires, whatever it might be. The the only brand that goes by the name is the carpet. Wow, fantastic. Okay, so Claire. We're going to think today about, talk through today, your stop, pause, think, now act moments, those pivotal moments in your life that have led to change. So one of the things that you told us about when we did our pre-interview, as we do with all our guests, you talked about your stop moment. Um, and the, one of the stop moments that you uh, led, us, led us through was your brother-in-law um, having terminal cancer. Yeah. What happened for you in that stop moment, Claire? Well, I guess it was it was kind of the final straw, really. Um, I hadn't been feeling great for about eighteen months prior to that. Um, I'd as I've been driving into work every morning, I'd had this real sense of like indigestion and doom, and I just kind of thought that you know I was in the doing the wrong job in, in the wrong job, if you like. And then we got the news about Chester and that just kind of knocked me for six, really. And that actually, I then went to the doctors because I just couldn't cope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You talked in your pre-interview that you felt like you were in denial for a lot of the time. What did Absolutely. Denial, yeah, what did that denial? Because there is so much great conversation about mind health, mental health and mental well-being. Sometimes we don't know what being in denial looks like. So what did that being in denial look like for you, Claire? What can you remember from that time? 
Yeah, I think I know because I want to talk about it now, and I and I say like I had indigestion every day. That was one of the physical manifestations mm. of it, yeah. and I just put put it down to oh, I've I've rushed my breakfast, or the cup of tea I've had was too hot, or you know, but I would kind of brush it off and excuse it away with something like that, with another reason. Um, but then getting the news about Chester just. Yeah, just kind of stopped me in my tracks, really, and went to the doctors and they said I have mild to moderate depression. Wow, that's a big piece of news to take on board, especially at that really difficult time. Yes. How many, in your, in your line of work now, how many people do you see, Claire, who have mental health challenges but don't recognise it because actually it presents a physical issue. Quite a few, to be honest, but not people who generally tend to come for counselling, but I run what we call an in-mind awareness session and it's an hour-long awareness just about your own um, mind health and that of other people's and how you can recognise it, how you can help somebody or yourself Um, and the language around that's used around it in like the press and social media. Mm. to encourage and reduce that stigma sorry joe and 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 in the discussions very often people will share physical symptoms that they've had that they know are their own triggers you know when we talk about media and you fantastic lovely leading to a great question claire we talk about social media and and the general media what 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 kind of terminology should we be looking to use when we're addressing mental health issues, maybe that we recognise in other people? Well, I know, I know one for me. I've always used uh, nutter as a term of endearment. And that's absolutely wrong. <laughs> yeah, and when we were, we've said that as small children, and it's yeah. horrifying to think that we did that. And it's so yeah. derogatory, actually, isn't it? I know there's there's so many, you know, and we do one of the things that we do when we're talking about language is we get people to talk about negative and positive words associated with mental health or with mind health. And the positive ones are so few and far between, but we can fill a flip chart full, you know, put butty short of a picnic and, you know, loon. And there's just a whole remit of them. And one of the reasons that that we do it is to say, you know, if, if we're using that in your everyday vernacular and then somebody finally has had the guts and the strength of courage to go to see the doctor or to talk to somebody about it and has been diagnosed as having, whether it's stress, anxiety, depression, whatever it might be, if they then hear those words, no wonder it takes 18 months or so for somebody to admit it because they don't want anyone else to know because that's the kind of reaction they think that they'll get yeah that's so interesting isn't it it's that and, and like you say it's 18 months for some people it can be years and years and oh, years yeah. before the event sure. any professional help and, and there's even um you know people who are still very much brought up on the just put up with it you know stiff up a lip yeah. you just you socks up and carry on which is ridiculous and impossible but but they carry on like that for years because as far as they're concerned, that's that's what you do. 
Yeah, that's what, yeah. I think I recognize now in my own um, circle of people that have maybe done that, just put up and, well, this, you know, I don't, and, and they didn't have the words for how they were feeling. Yeah. And when I reflect, you can see that they live such a diminished life. Yeah. And I think that is so heartbreaking. And was that what was going on for you, Claire, in that, that run up to that, for, to that diagnosis? What did your, you know, did your world get smaller? Did, was, was you less interested? What did it look like for you? It's actually funny you should say that um, about diminished life, because I can remember, I mean, I, by this point, I've been married, oh gosh, easily 10, 12 years. And, you know, I'd be sat in the living room watching TV. He'd be in the kitchen, you know, playing his guitar. And, and I said to him, this isn't what I want. And, and he's like, well, that's what, you know, our neighbours do. That's what our mum and dads do. And I'm like, yeah, but they're in their 70s and 80s. We're in our late 30s. This isn't what I want. And, and that was... A kind of diminished life and I think partially because I didn't want to interact that that's how I know when any of my um you know when, when my mind health is in decline is when I don't want to talk to people yeah that's a really good one isn't it recognizing the quieter you go what is that really about yeah so we're actually now in the pause moment talking about going quiet and withdrawing you talked about seeking a combination of support. Tell us about that. What did your combination of support to getting you on the right path look like? Well, funnily enough, I, I know our GPs sometimes get a bit of a bad, you know, bad shout out. And this is going back, gosh, 15 years or so ago. And they recommended uh, both medication and counselling. And that was probably the best thing. And I think that's still the best way. I think you know, medication has a really bad press, but it's finding the right one that works for you. And they're not, it's not like Prozac from years and years ago that was addictive and makes you feel nothing. You know, you, I, I still have the highs and lows now, yeah. but I know that they're controlled. Yeah. Um, when, I did, when I did eventually leave my husband, I came off the medication because I thought everything was marvellous. <laughs> Because yeah, just as a, a little juncture here, Kyle was talking about her other stop moment was this, um, I called it a, a spiritual awakening and Claire was like, mm, I'm not really sure it's a spiritual awakening <laughs> of, of you really working hard on yourself and then realising that you didn't want to be in this marriage anymore. anymore. Yeah. That yeah. was also what came out of your pause moment. Yes, absolutely. And that, you know... Um, yeah, and then I was devastated when about eight again, it's always about 18 months with me, about 18 months after realizing that I was in decline again and having to go back on the tablets. And even though I've been on them for 10 years, and and I would recommend anybody try them out if they feel they need that bit of help and they might only need it temporarily. But for me, I know it's a permanent thing now. So I was gutted when, I, you know, and I didn't want to admit that I needed to rely on this medication. And it doesn't stop me from feeling, but it, it does 
keep me on a more even keel. And as I said before, you still get the highs and lows. Yeah. But they're manageable. Well, it's that we, you and I talk about this a lot all the time, Claire, is, is that we're supposed to feel all our feelings, aren't we? We're supposed yeah. to have highs and lows as human beings. It ebbs and flows. And I... One of the things that I think about and reflect on a lot, Claire, with younger generations is, especially with the, you know, this social media influence. And so, you know, social media play, has, plays good and bad, but a lot of youngsters see these highlight reels from influencers' life, other people's life. And one of the things that I question all the time is, are we having kind of this explosion of mental health because people think they shouldn't feel all their feelings or it should just feel amazing all the time? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the, the highlight reels and because when you're feeling low, you're just comparing them to the to your cast offs on the floor. Yeah. And it's um, it can be really, really difficult. Yeah, I think I think yeah. people, younger generations today are looking at social media, looking at all these highs, and have got to understand it's stress is really actually quite normal. It's about recognizing when you're overstressed. You know, yes. sadness is really normal, but it's about recognizing when that's tipping into something else. You know, frustration. I think it's about recognizing that the negative feelings are actually part of being a human being, but what it looks like when they tip over into something else. I, I me personally, feel that, that that's where we need to do some education in, in younger generations and, and actually in other people as well. Yeah. How, how do you make that part of your everyday kind of being for yourself, Claire, and looking after yourself? You know what? That's because I was thinking while you're asking that question. Because I, I lead the mental health provision at work. And one, one of the mental health first aiders, she made the comment because somebody was feeling really low. And I think I tried to make, I think we made a bit of a joke, not about how she was feeling, but just to try and lighten the mood. And, and this other girl, she, she's so right because she just said, it's a, you know, we have to acknowledge these sad feelings and sometimes that's all right. And I think she's absolutely right. And I do, I try and do that with Nevea, with my six year old, because we try and rush through the negative feelings or ignore them and pretend everything's okay. And that's not real, like you said, it, and that's not life. And being able to deal with the, with the lows and the sadness and the upsets and the frustrations helps build your resilience yeah. and helps you as a, to form as a character. And I think the younger we can do that for people, you're right, we still need to educate everybody, but for the little ones, especially, and probably because of social, you know, and they see these get get famous quick, you know, if they're on Love Island or whatever it is, and then people are in the, the spotlight and in the media. and But then when you kind of look behind their lives, I'm sure there's an awful lot of, sadness and upset and frustration that they are told not to share or that they can't they feel they can't share yeah well one of the things that you know that I 
uh, really encourage people to do is the Flip the Thinking Toolkit, which is completely yeah. free by the link in the bio. Um, and that is about acknowledging your feelings and saying, I feel X, Y, and Z. Whereas we te- like you just said something so interesting, we tend to want to skip over those negative feelings because we're not supposed to have them. Yeah. should look like this amazing highlight reel where we're dancing and singing and laughing. Yeah. I know of somebody that has been doing this work now nearly 14 years, I have my moments where I want to, you know, be quite vocal in not a very nice way about certain things. Does that make us bad people? No, it doesn't make such good things. Absolutely. And, and I talk about those moments. You've been in one of my leadership workshops where I've openly talked about, you know, things that I, on the step back, know that I've not done well and being able to reflect on that. that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's it, isn't it? It's about having that reflection point where you can acknowledge where I could do better. Yeah. How do you acknowledge your time? Actually, I've got a really good question for you. How do you acknowledge when you have reflected on what you can do better and then give yourself a pat on the back for doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that was going to be my answer, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, that would would never happen. Um, It's a hard one really, isn't it? Because kind of as we were saying at the beginning, you don't even always recognise it in the first place to be able to reflect back on it because sometimes you're just too deeply entrenched. Yeah. Um, I get it reflected for me. I am my second husband. <laughs> he, will, he will sometimes comment, uh, which then gives me pause to think. Yeah. And that's it. Sometimes it doesn't have to, when we get that outside input can be really powerful and it's like there's rising when it comes. Yeah, I, and it's, I, I suppose, depending on what, I was going to say, what height of feeling you are at when you receive it as to whether or not it's easy to even take that constructively. Ooh, yeah, we all know those moments, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that sometimes when I'm working with you guys and I've got to say something that's, you know, a bit of tough love, mm-hmm. I lead with, get your heart out and hear this. <laughs> no and and I think when it's on a professional basis like that it's it, it's easier to take than when it's a loved one yeah throwing it at you let's say um uh, how would it be for you if that was what if I was asked that or for me to to ask that if you was asked that yeah, I think I would quite like that because I tend to get the solution. <laughs> I tend to get given the solution, <laughs> which in that moment isn't always necessarily what I want to hear because it's completely different to my solution. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really good way of phrasing it to somebody. And it's the same when someone comes to you either wanting a rant or you know one of your girlfriends rings you up or whatever and they is establishing you know is this advice you're after or do you just need me to listen you know so like you say you know comfort or support you know it's kind of is is this jump actually to answer 
or am I just here as an ear for you to rant at? And um, I think getting that clarity is a really good move. When I'm your think moment, Claire, what happened what? to you then as you started your, your treatment and, you, and you're talking therapies? Oh, gosh. Um, well, to be fair, it, I mean, I just kind of went back about my daily life, really, once um, we got the right tablets sorted out and, you know, and it was only six sessions and they were quite brief and to the point, but they were good and they got me thinking. And I suppose they got me considering an awful lot of different scenarios, especially one of them being the fact that I'd always wanted a family and it wasn't happening for us. And I thought, right, well, we have, I have, you know, I have to find out. I need to know. I need to know why it's not. Um, and then we went through a, um, a round of IVF, which was unsuccessful. And as a part of that, we were offered counselling through um, the uh, Women's Hospital in Liverpool. And my then husband didn't want to come and wasn't interested. So I went because I'd already had some counselling and it had been beneficial. So I went and because he wasn't there, I could talk about whatever I liked. Um, And that was kind of the point where I thought I've got to live my, you know, isn't it? the red hot chili peppers. This yes, I was just going to ask you about one of your yeah. briefing notes was talking about the red hot chili peppers. Yeah, I love them. And uh, yeah, this life is more than just a read through. And that kind of hit home, really. It's like, we're only here once. Life's too short. Um, you know, and just, and it was hard in my family because nobody really, but it was any divorces were very much in the minority. Again, it took me 18 months to to come to the conclusion that no, I'm not I'm not rushing into this, I'm not making a mistake. I've got to do this because I cannot wake up in this bed another day. Um, and how well, do you think how do you think how do you think the talking therapies predominantly really help you spend that 18 months working through that decision making, Claire? Well, I don't know about you, Joe, but I find that when I do start to talk to talk to somebody, hearing your own words out loud kind of give them a sense of their own, give them a bit of like an identity and they stop whizzing round in your head and you can actually think, is that actually what I think and feel? Is that is that real? Is it not real? Gosh, I didn't realise it was that. Um, because we so rarely get that opportunity to to spend time thinking about ourselves, especially in a constructive way, it's normally that negative voice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. In your head, telling you what you're doing wrong and what well, it is for me. And to be in that positive, non-judgmental space really enables you to analyse you, yourself and your feelings and what you're going through and you get a few of those. Ah, okay, that's why I've been feeling like that moments um, which can be really insightful. I'm a, so personally I've worked the same therapist for 14 years and I say that proudly I talk oh. about that regularly 
Um, <laughs> even though she's like, um, I'm retiring now. I'm like, I need continuity of care. <laughs> Um, and I think one of the things and you'll recognize this is that life is a continuum it's messy and you know oh, you yeah. get to the center of gravity and you'll think yes and then it gets messy again yeah. I think yeah. and one of the things I say to people all the time we don't go to therapy because we're sick and poorly we actually can go to therapy and really really mentally healthy mm-hmm. that's true yeah. So I absolutely. If, if you had, if you one piece of advice, Claire, for somebody who was sitting on the edge of going for talking therapy, what advice would you give them to help get them over the line? Oh gosh, um, I'm just tempted to say, what harm could it do? <laughs> just try it. Just try it, but have a have a look through some of the registered websites and just find somebody that either, you know, there's something about their profile, <clears throat> excuse me, there's something about their profile that you like the look of, you warm to them or whatever it might be. And I think it's amazing how easier it can be talking to a stranger than to somebody that you know, especially the first time. And you do build a relationship a very yeah, therapeutic yeah. relationship in that space. And <laughs> one counsellor that I went to see, because I've seen different ones over the years, and I said to her, I feel like you're not actually real. You're just inside my head. Like, you know, going to her office and being in that room, it was like I was going to a different space in my head. <laughs> and, oh, nice. You know, and it was it was very comforting in there and it was just very safe. But, um, yeah, it's finding the right person is, is hugely beneficial. What did your actions look like as, as a result of you really addressing your mental health and making big changes? Tell us about your big actions. Um, well, I don't know if this is what I, what I was supposed to talk about or not, Joe. but... Um... <laughs> You can, this is your stop post thing now at moments. You get to talk about whatever you like. <laughs> I trained to be a counsellor. Yes! <laughs> That's what I was hoping you was going to tell everybody. <laughs> and it's that, it's that wounded healer as well, you know. So I think a lot of people find it's that wounded healer. You know, you've, um, you've been there yourself. And I had this awakening. Well, this was an awakening at Liverpool Women's Hospital when in the counselling. And I just I sat there one day and I thought, if I could give somebody else what this lady Mary had given to me in those sessions I thought that's worth getting up in the morning um and even though I was working full-time I went to night classes for three years and and studied how to be a counsellor and then that fortunately has really taken over well not taken over but it's had a bit of influence at work in my current role so although I'm not you know I can't have um mind health or, or anything in my official title as, as learning and development, we still feel that that is part of that, developing people and, and helping people learn about themselves as well through the counselling. So, and, and, and that's something that I think has always kind of been there in me at some level. Oh, I love it. Yeah. You people are, to talk to me. You are so huge on empathy, Claire. 
Thank you. Yeah, I love having conversations with you and your insight for, for other people. It's amazing. I was one of the rare occurrences. Occur- occurrences where I actually did take some praise and something positive was from my tutor who said you know the the skills of counseling can be taught but the way of being you either are or you aren't um and he said I had it in spades so I was I I, I did take that I heard that and took that as a positive oh I'm nearly crying at that it's really <laughs> moved me to tears <laughs> you and I but in a good way because you and I know that having you know I'm an EFT therapist or you know you, your therapeutic skills are uh, very different to mine but you and I know that hearing people and what they hearing what they say but actually hearing them on a much deeper level Mm. Not just the words is a skill that I don't always think can be taught. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we do, we've done coaching classes at work and you either get it or you don't, unfortunately. Um, And it's, I think it's worse when people think they've got it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I'm cringing now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Then somebody thinks they've got it, and you're like, "Oh, you have not got it." Maybe <laughs> you feel like I can't say that because it sounds like I'm all being all, "Oh, look at me, aren't I marvelous?" Yeah. Um, when it's not that at all, it's just it is that way of being. Um, I yeah. know one of one of the people who I know who I've worked with. Her way of describing it is. Sometimes you look at me, Joanne, and I see you looking in my soul, and I think I best strap in for this session because I think you already know what I'm going to tell you before I've even told you because I'm seeing you look in my soul, and I, it, I think it's just being able to connect it's that heart center, connecting with somebody, isn't mm, it? And yeah. I, I, I think it's really isolating your time with that person. And one of the things that I always say when I'm kind of like, if I can feel that somebody is you know, off their axis, I do a little bit of breathing and bring them down. And I say to them, you're the most important person in the world right now. And she'll yeah. because when you say that to me, she said, it's like, do you know, it, that's how I feel. She said, and then all of a sudden, all this stuff comes tumbling out of me. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, oh, how did she do that? I'm, yeah. I'm guessing that's kind of like what it's like working with you as well, Pa. Yeah, I can't. I can't say I've ever been told that I can see into people's soul, but people do think I can read their mind. Because I think, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, because you because you ask them that question sometimes, and and, I, and when it happens, it's the most amazing thing. When you just really hit the nail on the head, and and they didn't see it coming. <laughs> just, yeah, that that really gives you a sense of yeah, um, yeah. This is you know, this is good. This is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, so Claire, just to wrap up, I'm gonna ask yeah. you your wrap-up question. I've got a really special wrap-up question for you. Oh no, go on. No, it's a good one. Um <laughs> what is the thing you're most proud of in your personal life? Although I don't feel like it today, I'm gonna say adopt. <laughs> give it some co- give it some context. <laughs> well, till we finally got the graded letter from school as we live in these COVID times and yeah, we've had the letter. So my six-year-old has been sent home. She's self-isolating. She's driving me demented. But 
adopting her when she was just about she just turned three was the most amazing thing that Greg and I have ever done. Oh, and I have just had pre-record. I just had the sweetest conversation with Nevea. So <laughs> you, I mean, I really wanted to finish on that note because I think your stop, pause, think, now act moments are quite what, you know, you went through this whole experience of this person becoming really sick who was very close to you, mm. to having this breaking spiritual awakening, as, as, as um, Brené Brown calls it, yeah. to... I need to change something and you really wanted to be in a parent yeah finding the most amazing man that you're married to now yeah and it all ended with Nevea. I know or it continues with yeah yeah or it continues with Nevea. what's the best thing about being a parent oh lord <laughs> uh, ask me again when she's 16 or so oh my goodness I work with parents with teenager children believe me I what I think you might be saying then you're like yeah we should have answered that question then when Joe asked me years ago 10 years ago I was gonna say it's just that unconditional love that you that you have for each other and I think that is Nevea in the background right now am I right she's like the rabbit out (laughs) Claire thank you so so much for being our guest on the Stop, Pause, Think, Now Act podcast. What an inspirational story of really addressing your mind, health and mental health and going on that journey with us and giving people the most, one thing I've taken out of our conversation today is there is hope and solutions if you are stuck in that mental health situation. And we will put some links below in the podcast where we can um, BACP guide at website where you can find great therapists and counsellors and we also have a few recommendations of our own so if any parts of this you feel that you want to reach out to us please email us at joe at joegrobler.com and we can send you out contacts for the people that we like working with claire thank you so much for all your help you're very conversation today and i i look forward to sharing this with our audience (laughs) i dread listening to it (laughs) (laughs) you take care (laughs) 